Hello and welcome to Brits on Flix, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, dissect and deliberate a movie of our choosing. With me as always is Brian, I'm your host Graham, and this month the movie is American Gangster. So Brian, what does this movie mean to you? I think you've seen it before. Yeah, I, so I'm a big Ridley Scott fan, he is one of my favourite filmmakers, um, and like most Ridley Scott films... I, I go out and I I make a point of, of going to see it. Um, I think when I first saw it, it's a film that I thought, that's, that's a really good film, mm. very well made, cracking performances. Um, but it had more than a hint of heat about it. Uh, just, yeah, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that maybe diluted my mm. opinion of it a bit. Um, and then I I bought it on DVD, because, like I say, Ridley Scott fan, gave it another watch, and was like, actually, this is a really good film. It's a lot better than I gave it credit for. Um, and my opinion may have changed a bit more um, okay. for this for this podcast, so we'll, we'll get into that. But, uh, yeah. Very interesting. Uh, much like yourself, big Ridley Scott fan. I don't know who isn't, to be fair. The guy's done such amazing, big, sprawling movies that you, you can't help but when they arrive on the big screen. Um, American Gangster was a movie I saw when it came out, and, and to be honest, it kind of left my brain after that. Um, I hadn't thought mm. about it in a number of years. I hadn't even considered re-watching it until you know, it turned out to be the movie of the month. So I was kind of a little bit trepidatious, a little bit worried about what I was going to into, because it's one of these ones that you don't really hear talked about much. You know, It's 11 years since it came out. Um, and I realised I didn't have a copy as well. I, I was kind of stuck, and <laughs> I, I started checking the the streaming services, and on Amazon Prime, it was there, mm. and I watched it, but it turns out I've watched an extended cut. Oh, the, the version okay. I watched was almost three hours. Right. Um, so I don't know what's mm. different, but you know, I'm eager to discuss it. I, I actually watched the theatrical cut for this one. I have seen the extended cut, I can't really remember what was in it. I do remember there being... In the introduction to yours, was some guy hanging by his feet? Mm. Or am I just making that up? No, and then he gets so. burned. Um, OK. He's sitting, sitting in a chair. Yeah. And he's covered in petrol and burnt. Yeah, OK. All right. I must be thinking. I'm taking that from somewhere else. Then uh, I have, yeah, I have seen the extended cut, but I honestly can't remember what was different about it. So yeah, for for, for the sake of this podcast, for the sake of listeners, yeah, uh, my my opinions are directed at the theatrical cut. So there was no choice on the service. Mm. It was just that was the uh, version that was there. Like literally going to any charity shop. Down, well, down here anyway, <laughs> there's always a copy of American Gangster in a charity shop. Yeah. Um, okay, so do you have a synopsis for us? I do indeed. Okay. Frank Lucas was the driver for Harlem's most powerful gangster for 15 years. That man is now dead, and Frank decides to take everything he learned under him and use it to take his place. He is a family man with conviction and extreme discipline who builds a drug empire by cutting out the middleman, buying heroin direct from the source in Vietnam and using military planes to ship the drugs back into the country. 
His empire begins to grow at an alarming rate, but his identity remains a mystery to law enforcement that is too busy looking at the Italian mob rather than the black street thugs of Harlem. Meanwhile, honest cop Richie Roberts, an outcast after handing in a ton of money, dirty money, rather than sharing it amongst the corrupt police force in which he works, is made the lead of the new task force whose mission is to bring to justice those in charge of flooding the streets with drugs. He is a man whose honesty cannot stop his personal life from unravelling and who oftentimes seems quite dishevelled. Despite this, his determination and commitment to his job sets him on a collision course with a true American gangster. Way to go, Brian. Okay, so I, I think we've probably got quite a few things that we can talk about here. Um, first off, I think we should mention the cast. Now, obviously, we, you know it's uh, Russell Crowe, mm. Denzel Washington, they're the main players. But every time a new character popped on screen, I was like, wow! Mm. That's, that's, that's that guy, wow, it's that person. Yeah. I just it was kind of shocked by the amount of people that were just popping out of the woodwork. Yeah. The cast is, is tremendous. Yeah, it is incredible. Um, and, and, and you're kind of... The lead actors, I think, are perfectly cast as well because you have this likability nature of Denzel Washington. Everybody likes the guy. Yeah. Everybody knows he's a great performer. And you have this kind of nasty character who's doing horrible things, but because it's Denzel Washington, it's a person. Man, man. Yes, exactly. So you kind of go, yeah, you know, I like him. You know, he's, he's organised, he, he's structured, he knows exactly what he's doing in this world. And then you have uh, the juxtaposition of Russell Crowe's character, Richie, who is almost disorganised, who, who seems all over the place, who seems a little bit untrustworthy with the slew of women that's coming in and out of his life and his personal life. You know, he, as, as his work relationship goes, he's very honest. And you get Russell Crowe, who's uh, synonymous with being a little bit difficult, a little bit rowdy at times as, as well. So they really kind of flip <coughs> the idea of these two roles uh, with the character actors what do you think uh, the cast yeah like, I, I think they're they're excellent really good uh, I just I love the di- dichotomy between these t- two characters like you say because um, you've got Washington who plays this he can be an absolute thug you know when 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 he gets his hands dirty he really gets his hands dirty he's not someone you want to mess with um, but you also you get the sense of his discipline, his certain sense of honour, um, and you get the sense that he's the kind of guy where actually if, if you just respected him, you'd never need to fear him. You'd never have any worries about what he was going to do to you. He'd treat you well. Um, it's kind of almost a Hannibal Lecter kind of thing in that regard. You know, you, you always feel like mm. with Hannibal Lecter in those movies, as long as you don't disrespect him, you're not going to be on the menu. It's like the people who, who disrespect him or belittle him, they're the ones that he kind of does away with. Um, and you kind of get that, that vibe here. Obviously not the same kind of psychosis, but, no. um, but yeah, it's, it, he's a man with a certain sense of integrity, honour and discipline, but he's the bad guy. He's the one that actually... You know, and I think that's why we have that scene at the beginning. You know, right at the beginning, we see him yeah. set fire to this guy, and we don't know who this guy is. Uh, certainly, in the theatrical cut, anyway, we don't know why he's done this. We don't need to know. All we need to know from this scene is this is this is who he is. Look, you, you know, you'll see in the film that yes, if, if if you're on his good side, he can actually be quite a palatable fellow. 
But let's not forget, this is actually who he is. He's someone who will burn someone alive. Um, and we will see later in the film, he is also someone who will shoot someone through the head in broad daylight in the middle of the street in order to achieve his goal. So he's not a nice guy. Um, he may wear niceness on the outside. He may appear to be a Robin Hood figure to the people of Harlem, but he isn't. At the end of the day, he's a businessman, a very ruthless businessman, um, who will do anything to get uh, to the top. And then on the flip side of that, you've got this cop who seems to have this kind of moral fibre about him, um, in that he'll make... Like things. Yeah, he'll make, that's what I mean, a certain moral fibre. Like, he'll make the right choice when it comes to his who he is as a cop, you know? He won't cross that line that is is breaking the law. But everything else in his life indicates a man who is falling apart at the seams, who's cracking up, who can't hold things together, who isn't that trustworthy, who you know doesn't look after the things that need looking after. Um, you know, where, whereas Washington's character, whereas Lucas is a family man, he. You know, as soon as he starts making it, he brings his family into this big mansion, gives them all a place, whereas Crow's character, he's like, he can't even keep his family together. It's almost like he doesn't want them. He cheats on his wife, he never sees his son. So, yeah, and and he's the hero, you know? So It's, it's a nice switch with the characters, mm. but for all that, the plot, the actual plot itself seems very familiar. It seems to be something that we've seen in many a movie. You know, the, the rise and fall of a gangster and, and the dedicated lawman that's going to bring him down. And I don't... As that kind of, of typical plot, I don't know if it really offers much new to that. No, I mean... I think it's a trope. You know, there's, there's certain uh, types of story... And you always get them. We're going to get this again, you know. And we had it re recently with Den of Thieves. Not a great movie, admittedly, but it'll keep coming and coming and coming. Um, the important thing is how well is that story told, you know. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to be told again and again and again, but how well do you tell it? And I think here it's told really well. I think the script by Stephen Zalian is really on point. I think it's it's yeah. it's very well detailed, very well put together. He gives you bits of information in a way that that kind of respects your intelligence, I think. You've got to keep up, I think, with what's mm -hmm. going on, especially with a theatrical cut. There's, you've got to make certain links, um, you know, like bits of dialogue are dropped in that clue you into what's going on, and if you don't keep up, you will get lost. Um, I will say right up front, this time around... I had more fun, I had more enjoyment, I was engaged with this film more than I've ever been. Um, mm -hmm. I really liked it. It went up in my estimation considerably, it must be said. Um, I, so I, because I'd seen it before, I, just, I bashed it on while I was doing some work on my laptop. Uh, I, there was something I needed to get done. Uh, so I thought, you know, I've seen it before, I kind of know, know what happened, so I just need it on in the background, enough to, to be able to bring something to this podcast. I put it on, literally five minutes in, I was I was engrossed. And I, I just, I didn't, 
I didn't do any, anything that I should have done on my laptop. My work kind of got put aside. 20 minutes in, I literally just put my laptop at the side of me and just stopped what I was doing and just carried on watching the film. I was that engrossed. Um, like There's yeah. so many really great moments in it with, again, mm. the characters. And it is a character piece. It's a character study of these two characters. The events that are going on around them aren't really important so much as who these guys are as people what makes them tick what makes them work they both have a journey that they go on and at one point they're going to meet and they don't really mm -hmm. meet until the very end of the film you yeah. know you got this no, it's, it, it's strange how the movie almost gets away with that because mm. i think it's the last 10 15 minutes now i watched the three hour cut so for like two and a half hours these people never meet mm. yet each of their stories are absolutely captivating. Mm. The, the obsessive and you know nature that these guys have, the dedication towards their goals that they're reaching for, it, it's captivating to watch. Much like yourself, I was I was kind of daunted by the running time, mm. and I, I, I thought I'll watch it. I'll watch half an hour, and if I don't like it, I'll just pause it, go away, do something, come back to it. I was riveted mm. to the screen because it's it's so easy to watch. It's so paced terrifically well. It's filled with characters that I was really interested in. So I, I and when I, I say I was interested in the characters, I was interested because on one hand you would really like a character. Oh look there's Frank, he's got all his family around, isn't he? Fantastic. Wait a minute, he's just shot somebody in the head in the middle of the street. Oh look, there's Richie, isn't he um, such a a horrible guy, he's neglecting mm -hmm. his wife, the child services are coming to his house, he's letting a stewardess out, mm -hmm. he's obviously just sleeping about. But look at his dedication, look at him trying to get to the honest truth, trying to stop the streets being filled with these drugs. And he kind of flip-flopped on these characters. You know, one moment you'd like them, the next moment you'd hate them, and it would be both of the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, can you imagine in Heat if... Michael Mann had not let De Niro and Pacino meet in the diner. Like you, you mm. take that. I mean, you you could make that work. You could make the same film and not have that scene. You need to tweak mm. a few bits here and there. But yeah, like that's essentially what happens here. Hero and villain just don't meet at all. It's and that's because we have these two separate stories. And it, it's okay to follow those two separate stories on their own. When they come together, it doesn't really matter. It's just like we're seeing the flip side of the same coin. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. if if you know if, if they never meet, so to speak. But yeah, I do like that aspect. Uh, there's this nice little character moments, interesting bits here and there. Like there's the bit in so when Crow's partner um, has shot someone, and he goes round to to see it and it, they, they've got to get out of that apartment but mm. there's like a baying crowd outside and, and if they if they if they cotton on to the fact that this guy is dead that's it they are done for and it's like the, the ingenuity yeah. that Crow's character shows in that moment I don't think I would have thought to do that or even had the balls no. to do that open his eyes get him on the bed let's just walk out um, you know and, and it's just it is it's ingenious and, and it's like you do kind of, you kind of find yourself questioning would, would I fall for that and and I think you would to be honest you know mm -hmm. you, I think you would fall for that and it's yeah I just think clever little moments like that that kind of clue you into who this character is because um, this is a guy who's who's just passed the bar exam as well because he's while he's a cop he's also he's, he's trying to become a lawyer on the side and mm -hmm. 
Um, but uh, so so he is he is intelligent. He's a very intelligent guy. He just yeah. you don't see evidence of that from any kind of outward appearances. Whereas mm-hmm. Washington's the flip side of that. Um, and, and 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 with with Washington's character, you've got all this discipline. You've got all this. Um, as I say, these uh, a certain code of honor, um, and it's and it's blown, totally blown, by this one moment of weakness, where he doesn't, he doesn't do what he knows he should do, which is tell his wife, he doesn't like the coat, I, I ain't wearing that. It's too loud. It's too big. If he hadn't worn that coat at that boxing match. He never would have been spotted. He never would have been seen. Mm. And it's all because, for that one instance, he broke his own code, um, which, which I, I find both amusing and, uh, and just a really interesting uh, mm. kind of point to take. It, it, again, that reminds me a little bit of De Niro in Heat, the way he, you know, he has this very certain code. You look at his house, there's nothing in it, no furniture, because if he feels the heat coming around the corner... He's out there in thirty seconds flat, you know, and 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 you, yeah. This this guy is the same kind of personality, and like with De Niro in Heat, he he breaks he breaks his rule. He breaks his own rule, um, you know. In, in Heat, he gets a bit too attached. Um, in Heat, he 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 he, he seeks vengeance, uh, and if he'd have just let it go, he wouldn't have got caught. Um, and similarly here. Yeah. If he'd, if he'd have stuck to his own code, he wouldn't have got caught. So, yeah, and, and the same way that you, you speak about Richie and how smart and intelligent he was, you've got to say it to Frank as well. Mm. He was street smart. He he saw he had a vision that very few other people at the time in the similar position had. Mm. You know, he he took all the. You get these nice scenes from Bumpy, who's kind of um, laying the ground of how America is falling apart and why. But he uses all of the things that he tells him to realise that the way to do business is to go to Vietnam, to make the deal himself, to mm. get the, the, the drugs into the country, to undercut the competition, but give them a better product while doing it. And, and it's you have both very intelligent men all the way through it, and they both have moments of um, outbreak. You know, but they, they snap almost, especially with Frank. There's a moment where... They get pulled over and they take the drugs out the back of the car, and, he, and his brother's like, "I'm sorry," and he, he's like, "Don't worry about it." But as soon as they get in the car, he he snaps, mm-hmm. he snaps and starts to to, to to beat him up, and then there's this, the scene in the party where he feels embarrassed because people are taking drugs and, and acting rowdy, and he snaps again, mm-hmm. um, and, and beats up somebody in front of a full crowd. But these are guys who, at the end, when they do finally meet at the church. They're rather pragmatic about their situation. Yeah, Richie knows he's won, and Frank knows he's lost. Mm. There's no big shootout. There's no dramatics. They just kind of stare at each other, and almost you see a nod of of just okay. Mm. I, I love that the fact that there's no big bravado mm. um, shootout or, or you know like in Scarface. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you get nothing like that. It's just mm. okay. You got me. He's he's just taken in like. Like any common criminal, really. It's just at the, at the end of the day, all the bravado, all the the respect that he's garnered, and this, that, and the other. It's, it's nothing. It's just like, please show up. Come on, come with us. So, yeah. Um, 
It's, uh, it, it is interesting that they they use him to to kind of yeah. I mean, th- this is something that's happened quite a lot over the years. Is is you know when you get a criminal who's in high places, they then do like I think of uh, Frank Abagnale Jr. from Catch Me If You Can, yeah. where they, they actually become <laughs> they end up working for the police on, like on the payroll and everything, you know. And so you got this guy as well who's like so in the thick of it with the the, the drugs cartels and and the, and the bent coppers and stuff that he's actually in the best position. To, to do police work even more so than the police themselves so you know, you, you kind of have to be a criminal in order to in order to catch the criminals in that regard so mm-hmm. I, I like the way he uses the, the city subjugation and racism that's against him mm. to his advantage yeah. because nobody expects that he's going to be the one that was smart enough to, to do all the things that he did mm. and he's quite happy to allow people to think that, yeah, you know, um, it's, it's a great, great choice. So, what about? I mean, this this is a sprawling story, and we do get Richie, and we do get Frank, but we get lots of other characters as well. Um, I mean, even of Thanos in this. Is, uh, <laughs> Josh Brolin, oh man, he, I love Josh Brolin. He's like yes. even in little supporting roles. He's he's just there's something about the guy that's just endlessly watchable. Um, and he he, he plays give him, give him a tash and he's a bad guy. Yeah, he plays Scuzzy really well. Uh, yeah. Like you want to see him get get done over in this, and he doesn't. I don't. I don't know. He just gets he just gets arrested, doesn't he? The, oh no, he shoots himself. No. Shoots himself. Yes. Yeah. For for some reason, like throughout this, I kept I kept on waiting for him to get well, like a yeah. car bomb, but him be in it. You know. Um, yeah. I, I. But yeah, just no. Finds out he's going to get arrested. He's been caught. So yeah, just bullet to the head. Uh, a bit of a brutal moment as well. That the, the way mm. it's filmed, it's pretty full on. With his his, his wife mm. vacuuming, yeah. and just <laughs> not even noticing. Mm. Um, it's good. It's good. Um, anything else that kind of jumped out at you that you want to discuss? Uh, I don't know. Just th- there is some humour in there as well. I think. Uh, like I, I find the. Uh, <laughs> The brother, really funny, with his proper pimped-out outfit. It's like, it's like as soon as he becomes a gangster, he starts adhering to every stereotype of what a black Harlem gangster should be, um, which obviously kind of really bugs the crap out of Lucas. Uh, but mm. Mm. And then you have the counterpart of Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> as that character, you yeah. know, the, the, yeah. the typical person and... Um, a lot of the scenes in the movie don't play out the way I expected them to. Mm. You know, um, it's like the scene where he goes to see Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character mm. and, and he insults him. Yeah. And in, in his place, and I thought, this is it's just going to snap. Mm. But he just smiles. Nods, My man. And, <laughs> yeah. And just leaves. Mm. It, it's, it's a strange kind of anticlimax almost because mm. he's expected. You've seen Goodfellas and you've seen Heat and you've seen all these other kind of movies, Scarface. And you've already so seen respect. Lucas blow someone's head off as well. Yeah, for the disrespect. Mm. And again, there's more disrespect. So you, you, you're you wondering, because I don't think he ever gets come up and study. No, no, no. Doesn't. No. 
but you're expecting it too, and it just seems odd that that's, that sort of thread's left dangling. Yeah, I, I think it's just he takes a look at this guy, and he realizes he's, he's already he's already beaten. There's there's nothing left in him. Like he's he's hanging out in his own club, getting high, and moping in his <clears throat> in his drink. You know what I mean? It's like what. The, the guy's fallen so far already. Whereas you look at like the Idris Elba character, and he's mm. he's walking around in Lucas's territory, as if he's God, as if he's the man, you know. Um, and it, so yeah, it's c- c- apples and oranges really. And um, so, what, what did you what did you think about that scene where he, you know, just takes him out in broad daylight? I think it, it's a scene I, I kind of half remembered from seeing it the mm. first time. But I think seeing it this time, I took a lot more of it in. It's it's a statement. It, he's making a point-blank statement here to um, everybody in the street. You know, he's he's kind of half-loved by the, the people in the community because he kind of treats them with respect and, and knows that he can kill this person in broad daylight. Everybody knows it's him and he'll get away with it. And it's almost a statement as well to his family who he's just brought on board. You know, look, you know, this is the kind of level I'm at. I can do... This is, you know, I'm able to do the dirty jobs that need to be done. Um, but now, I've done it, I've proved myself to use. You are going to be able to do that from now on. I think it's almost like a, a, a marker. Mm. You know, I'm the boss. Yeah. Like, w- when I first saw it at the cinema, I, it was one of the moments where I was like, no way, as if, that that just would, there's no, there's no way you'd do that. No way at all. There's far too many witnesses, and I'm not buying that at least one of them doesn't come forward. But uh, but it is. It's like that, watching it this time around, I did actually buy it because just because of you know when you look at who this guy is. You know he, he worked for the, uh, the the big man for 15 years. People know him. He's built up relationships, and he is that kind of Robin Hood figure. You know we see we see him like like his boss did giving out the spoils, so to speak, feeding people on the streets, you know, giving them big mm. turkeys and, and whatnot. You know, these, these are very poor people. Um, and, and then you've got this Idris Elba character who you, you, you know from, from what type of man he is that he's the kind of man that people would more likely fear rather than respect. Mm. Any respect they have for him is born out of fear because he's going around taking money, taking his cut. Um Whereas with Lucas, that's not the case. It's not so much fear; it's 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 respect first, um, and then. Uh, so yeah, I, I I bought it a lot more this time around. It made a lot more sense to me. Um, hmm. So it, it it's definitely a bold statement for the character. So, I, I mean, as as it's a great statement, it's a great scene. I think it's got a lot more to it than just what's on the surface. Um, one of the things I just want to briefly mention is the pacing of the movie mm. for a, a movie that is that length mm. that tells a sprawling story over a number of years involving many different moving parts there's all lots of characters it just you never feel as if you're rushing to catch up mm. you know you're always with the movie you don't, never feel that it lags at any point at all mm. it's just constantly moving constantly entertaining constantly giving you new information to digest it's just it's terrifically well paced out yeah, it is. I I think I think it's greatly paced. Um, that all the side characters as well are are really good. Like you 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 don't mind spending time with all the little side characters. I, th- I think if I had any criticism 
it probably would be that there's a few of them, a few of the side characters that I would have liked to have got to know better. Um, like some of his brothers, you know, like we, hmm. we saw a little bit in uh, of, of where he came from, his old house, when he calls up the family and brings them over. Uh, I, I do feel like we could have gotten to know them a little bit better, but like minor criticism I still like spending time with these people um, a couple of side characters I really liked in this are uh, one is Russell Crowe's I can't remember his, his character's name but his wife Carla Gugino uh, I, I completely hmm. forgot Carla Gugino was in this um, and I really like her I think she's, think she's a great actress I think what she did in um, Gerald's game Last last year yeah. was was really incredible. I, I I personally thought was worthy of an Oscar nomination, um, but it was horror. So hey, horror doesn't get nominated. Um, but uh, but yeah, incredible actress, and I liked her character here. There's this kind of character in so many other movies that I've seen of this kind of nature. They could make her a complete bitch. You know, mm. they they could take the tack that oh she's she's being a bitch. No wonder he's cheating because she drove him to it. But actually, no, you, you're on her side, you know, and you, you're, mm. you're rooting for Crow because of the line of work he's in, because of what you know he's putting his life on the line. He's you know put his reputation on the line by by being a, a trustworthy cop rather than a dirty cop, um, and yet you still feel for his wife. You still are on her side because he's the one who's cheating. He's the one who's neglecting his son. And when she gives this speech in the courtroom to him, so they, they, you know, they're having this custody battle for the, for the kid, and it's a real turning point for Crow's character. Um, and it's a great moment where she, where she just... She unloads on him and she says, unadulterated, what, I guess what she's been dying to say for so long, and she just lets it all out. And he has this moment of realisation, which is it's quite a powerful moment, where actually he realises she's right. And he just he mm. gives up. He gives up the, the custody battle. He says, you know what? You're right. Take, you take, take our son. I'm, I'm unworthy of being a father. And it's, it's a really great moment. Uh, it's, it's very well written, and it, it's just—it is—it's just a good side character and a, and, a, and a subplot that, in another film, in the wrong hands, would be mishandled, and you'd be thinking, "Why do we need all these subplots? Just get to the main story, you know? Just get." But actually, yeah. no. It's these subplots that feed into these characters, that tell us who they are, that kind of make us relate to them even more, good or bad. Uh, like with Crow's partner as well. You know, we we see that like Crow's partner is he he's a cop who is he 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 has all the same decisions to make as Crow, except he doesn't. So you know, we we see how easy it is through his partner to make all the wrong decisions. You know, he 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 blames Crow and he blames like he's he's mad at him for handing that money in. And rather than standing up to people, rather than saying, you know what, I did the right thing and I'd do the right thing again, he takes on board the criticism. He feels the pressure of of 
of the force, you know, like coming against him. And as a result of that, he slips into drugs. He stays on the drugs, and that leads to obviously the the, the situation at that house where he's where he shot someone. So, yeah, like it's through that side character, through that subplot, that you see how easy it would be for Crow's character to go that mm. way. Um, so. Yeah, I love it. All these subplots, all these side characters feed into a, as you say, a sprawling story that never feels overrun, never feels plodding, um, but but tells us everything we need to know about these two opposing characters. So yeah, love it. But just just a small note to the end of that story about the partner. Um, like, like I said, huge story. Lots of characters, lots of things to get lost in the mix, but the tie off that story. They show the cop dead at one point. And it's not just a case of it's sad and it's there. It is for Richie, but it's also a clue because he's OD'd on the blue magic mm. and it leads him to mm. the discovery of Lucas. So it's yeah. not just a, an empty end. It's, it's continuing the story and tying it into other parts of the bigger picture yeah. at the same time, yeah. you know, giving closure for that character. Yeah, it gives, it gives really a personal well reason for for, Luke, for 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 Crow's character to get involved with this task force, mm-hmm. it makes it personal. So, yeah, like I say, just yeah. everything very very intricate, very well written, um, cracking stuff. Yeah, if we get anything else you want to talk about, or uh, nothing for me really. Uh, just I, I I I just think it was. It, Exactly what we just said. Really brilliantly written, uh, excellently di- excellent direction from uh, Ridley Scott, and two fine performances from the two leads, as well as all the support. Um, for me, watching it this time around, it became one of my favourite Ridley Scott films. Uh, mm. You know, we're about to get into our top five. We'll see whether it makes that top five. Um, I will. I will tell you that. Uh, well, no, I. Let, let we'll get there when we get there. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. So, yeah. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, I do. I think I'm with you on it. The more I think about, it, I think I gave it a four initially. Mm. But when I think about it and discussing it, and even how it ties everything together, the, the small facets, like he, his partner, how it really shows the characters three dimensionally, gives you lots to latch onto. I think it is a four and a half. I think. I think it's very close to being a five. Mm. I can't think of any faults that the movie has. Mm. I, do you know what? I, I honestly can't think of anything that it doesn't do. You, you know what? I'm going to give it five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't mm. fault it in any way, shape or form. Mm. I really can't. Um, maybe another watch in a couple of years. I think yeah. it'll just it'll, it'll rectify that. But it'll just stick it straight in at a five immediately. Mm. But thinking about it now, I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun watching it. I was engaged. I was engrossed by the characters. Mm. I felt for them. I was kind of terrified for them at points. Um, I was really, really just into the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Five out of five. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find anything to criticise. And even the criticisms that you can find, like, oh, the familiarity. I feel like we've, you know, we've had similar stories to this. That's okay, but you have to measure the film on its own merits and whether it's familiar or not, does it do it as well, if not better, than the ones you've seen do it before? And to, to my my honest opinion is, the only one I can think of that is better, that is of the same vein, is Heat. Um, but, 
name name another film that takes this kind of tack, that takes this kind of story, that is better than this. Uh, I think you'd be hard mm. pressed to do so. So you know, yeah, it's familiar, but man, it takes that familiarity and it it it, it brings the A game to it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, uh, it's quite well over kind of done on this, but as I said earlier, it's a familiar story. I, if you just stick out the plot beats. But it circumvents that by doing things that's unexpected. Mm. You know, usually you would expect these guys to snap, to be shout, to have a marriage that is in crisis. Like the the bad guy, mm. his marriage is strong. His wife knows exactly what he does. It, it, plot beats, yes, it's familiar, but I, I do feel that it kind of it, it circumvents a lot of the ways the typical tropes as yeah, well. Definitely. So, yeah, there we go. Great okay. movie. Um, so we're going to move on to our top five for this episode, right? Okay. Top five, yeah, top five Ridley is. Scott films. Yes. Uh, yeah. Top five Ridley Scott films. Uh, who wants to go first? Well, we had a, a wealth of movies to choose from here. We did. You, you look at the guy's filmography and you're just like, wow. <laughs> what do I pick? Do you want to, do you to throw um, out some honourable mentions? No, because I don't want to give out movies that aren't on my list just yet. Okay, all right. Well, I want to play it coy. All right, okay, fair enough. Um, Keeping in that spirit, I will will leave out my honourable mentions as well. Okay, so... Um, I'm looking at my top five now, and I'm actually tempted to move two around, but I won't. I'll I'll leave it. I'll leave it the way it is. Okay, so... Do you want me to go first? Go on. What's your number five? Prometheus. Prometheus, okay. Yeah. I, I Prometheus is one of those movies I was super excited about mm. when it came into the cinema. And it wasn't what I expected. Right. And I think it, it was almost too much for me to take in in the first viewing. Right. I knew I liked it, but I just wasn't sure what I'd gotten there. Mm. You know, it wasn't quite an alien movie. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing because most sequels tend to regurgitate what has come before. Mm. Prometheus, for me, gave me something that was vaster, added to the mythos of the world that we had, gave some great special effects, a, a nice, concise story, and for me, it was one of the better sequels in the Alien franchise. A, a really fantastic, visually striking, just a movie that every time I watch it, I get more and more into it and I enjoy it more and more I mean I was making this list it had to be on here I I do like Prometheus quite a lot in fact um, there are a few character moments in it for me that are are a bit grating but on the whole yeah you're right I think it is one of the better alien movies I don't think it's the best Alien sequel that Ridley Scott has done, however. So uh, I will say that much. Um, okay. Okay. So you're wrong. But let's uh, go. <laughs> uh, right. But uh, my number five is American Gangster. Uh, you know my thoughts right. on it. Uh, but yeah, just incredibly well done film. Uh, kind of reminds me of Heat, but it, 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 that's not a bad comparison. And it, it more than matches it well it, it, it just about matches it so it's, it doesn't you know it, you don't hold this up to heat and think oh that's a that's a piss poor imitation of heat no you think oh mm. if, if ever there's a film that could compete with heat it's American Gangster so yeah American Gangster my number five 
Okay, now I, I struggled when I was making this list because there's movies I'm like, I want to put that there, but then mm. I think I, I like that one better. should be said that I think all these movies that I've put on here are five out of fives. Mm. They're all tremendous and it's just personal preference yep. as to where something lands. Okay. So saying that, number four is Gladiator. Okay. It's, it's a movie I've went back to a few times yeah. and um, I really enjoy the story. I think Joaquin Phoenix's it's tremendous mm. as this this boy emperor who nobody takes seriously, yeah. who, who wants to kind of respect that his father had and he can never quite get. Mm. And he puts all his frustration onto to this one guy that had the respect that he wanted. It's a revenge tale. It's really well shot. It's some fantastic action set pieces, uh, as you would expect from Scott. I, I love the sort of palette colour changes throughout it, you know, when it starts off in the kind of dirty grey war that he's in. Mm. And that war scene at the start is... <laughs> it's breathtaking yeah. and then it moves to this golden um, short scenes as it moves into this lap of luxury in Rome and, and everything there and then we get the gladiatorial battles which are, are more intimate more bloodied more vicious and just now I'm wondering if I really should have this at number four <laughs> it's there it's a great film yeah, it's a tricky one um, okay mm. my number four is Thelma and Louise uh, this is one of the first Ridley Scott films I ever saw and it made quite a lasting impact. Um, just the relationship between Thelma and Louise is so believable, so sweet in many ways um, and it's just, yeah, it's hit like like a freight train when this, when this incident happens at the beginning, this guy... Um, tries to rape, rape one of them, and and then it all it just all goes south from there. But they stick together, and it 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 is. I don't want to use the term feminist tale, but it's, it's like it is basically. Um, but don't let that put you off. It's 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 mm. it's it's just about two really strong female characters who have decided they're not going to take any crap anymore, um, yeah. and they're well within their rights. Uh, you know, as a viewer, you you watch them and you think, you know what, good on you, go go for it. Um, but yeah, it's got, got a great turn from Brad Pitt, who I think this was his introduction. I think this was his first role. Uh, if memory serves me correct, I could be wrong on that, but yeah, it certainly made him a star anyway. Um, but um, but yeah, it's just it's a great film and very low key in many respects. Uh, when, when you look at what Scott. Is famous for you know you look at Alien and Blade Runner, Gladiator, all these big blockbuster Hollywood movies. This is a very slow, character-driven piece. Uh, so mm. yeah, I really great film. If you've not seen it, and the, and the two performances as well by uh, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, definitely worth watching this film for alone. So yeah, Thelma and Louise number four. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking at my list and I'm just like. How do you separate some of these movies? How do you leave some of these movies out? And I'm just... I saw that face yeah. and I thought, oh no, his microphone stopped recording. But no, you're just, no, you're just no. having trouble with your list. I'm just okay. having, I'm having real trouble with my list, Brian. Yeah. So, number three is The Martian. Right. Okay. I, I, I absolutely love this movie. I saw it a couple of times in the cinema. I've watched it again at home, I, I love the sort of Robertson Crusoe aspect of the movie which it pretty much is um, this one guy trying to survive I think it's a terrific performance by Matt Damon, I, I love the look of the movie 
very individual. I, I just think it's one of these tales that I get lost in every time I put it on. But the guy struggle. I know the ending of it, but I'm still worried. I'm still engaged all the way through it. Um, it's just it's one of these. I, I love it. Movies. It's a film I need to see again. I really do. I've bought it on Blu-ray, and I. I I know it got nominated for Best Picture. Um, At the time, I thought it didn't deserve to be. Um, I I thought it was a very solid film. But the the thing is, I watched it when I was quite tired. And I don't think I gave it the credit that it was due. And and as I was watching it, I I did think it was, again, familiar. Very familiar. Uh, I was thinking, like, Apollo 13. Apollo 11? Apollo 13. Apollo 13. 13. Yeah. No. Yeah, Apollo 13, isn't it? Unlucky number, 13? Apollo 13? I don't know. Anyway, the Ron, the Ron <laughs> Howard Apollo movie, um, which I think is called Apollo 13. Uh, it's, it's Apollo. <coughs> it's Apollo. Yeah, like it, it felt yeah. very familiar to that. And then, and then you had Jessica Chastain and Matt Damon in it, and this was like a year after Interstellar, so it was... It, it's like, oh man, I can't get my head out of that film. So yeah, it, I I think there's a just there's a, a big mix of stuff going in. I think now that I've had some distance of time between when it came out, um, I think now would be a good time for me to watch it again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't make my top five, but I definitely one I I I want to watch again just to to give it that second shot. But, uh, but yeah, okay. So my number three is Gladiator. Uh, absolutely fantastic film. Um, I did a top 10 Ridley Scott films on my uh, YouTube channel a few years ago now, about three years ago maybe, and I think I actually put Gladiator at number one. Um, really? I, 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 wow. I still wouldn't blame anyone for doing so. I think it's an incredible film. Kind of revitalise the sword and sandals epic after so many years of it just being non-existent um whether it stayed revitalised is a different story uh, although I do like quite a lot of a lot of the films that came after like Troy and 300 and all that lot those films wouldn't have got the green light I don't think if not for Gladiator um but brilliant performance from Russell Crowe still one of his best really forceful uh just a great character for an actor to sink their teeth into. Hans Zimmer's one of his best scores, certainly one of his top two. I, I kind of really love his Man of Steel score as well, but Gladiator is, is, is up there. What, what a fantastic score it is. Uh, brilliant uh, vocals on there from Lisa Gerrard as well. Um, yeah, just... It is. It's an incredible film. It's another one with a lot of side characters, little subplots and stuff, like the stuff between... Yeah. Um, Maximus and, and Commodus's sister. Uh, it, it feels very Shakespearean. The bit when Com- Commodus kills his father just feels like he's right out of Shakespeare. Um, but you kind of sympathise with him as well. He's, he's a really twisted, messed up, dark soul. But you kind of feel for him. You feel like maybe his father made him this way by giving all his love to this other guy rather than to his son. Um, you know, it's just... Even his father at one point admit, admits that, that your failings are as as a son are my failings as a father. And so that that kind of gives you sympathy for this guy. But, uh, yeah, he blows it by just being a complete douche throughout the rest of the film. So, yeah, it's an incredible film, brilliantly shot, some great action sequences in it. Um, like just the chat, the 
the whole chariot fight scene thing, uh, and again the, the the one with the 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 warrior that they bring back out, the the one who'd, who'd won all the battles and stuff. Some great costumes in it. I really love that yeah. helmet. Just mm -hmm. fantastic stuff. Yeah, brilliant film. Uh, five out of five, but it's my number three. Um, I, I think. Can I make a prediction? I think we're both going to have um, the same two movies, but I think we're going to have them in different spots. Yes, I think you're probably yeah. right. Because I think you're more so, the horror guy and I'm more the sci-fi guy, so... Yeah, um, so... My number two is Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> um, terrific movie. It is fantastic, but like you said, it's more mm. science fiction. Um, I, I watched this just before the sequel came out and I, I was captivated. You know, I've watched it a couple of times, but that time it really... It really clicked with me. Mm. Um, the kind of slow pace of it mm. was something that was almost hypnotic. The, the score by Vangelis is something that I've listened to several times since then because it's just one of these fantastic soundtracks. Um, the whole character of Deckard, the tale that he's after, you know, dealing with the the, the, the robots and things, or the cyborgs, and, and Rutger Hauer. Mm. Rutger Hauer is... Absolutely mesmerising yeah. in this in this movie um, is this character. What's the character of somebody who is knows that they are going to die, and is trying to get some kind of answers from his maker. Mm. You know, yeah. I'm sure you'll love that. There's all kind of <laughs> connotations you can take from that, yeah. um, which I think is truly fantastic. But I'm sure, I'm sure you've got a lot more to say on the subject, and we'll get to that yeah. soon enough. Yeah. Okay. So, my number two is Alien. Um, you know, I like I say, Gladiator is a five out of five for me. So clearly, so is Alien. It, you know, it it shaped the sci-fi and horror genre in in so many ways. You know, you mm. any space movie now that has some kind of alien threat owes a debt in in some degree to, to Alien, whether it's the production design, uh, whether it's the creature design, uh, whether it's the the structure of having a particular crew members, you know, you, you always have particular mm -hmm. characters that become part of that crew. Um, you know, even one of my favourite uh, science fiction films, Sunshine, owes a debt to Alien. Um, yeah. yeah, just incredible. Uh, and to think this was... This was only his second feature film, you know? He did The Duelists yeah. before this, and then, boom, knocked it out of the park <laughs> with this. It's like, yeah, wow, incredible. Um, fantastic science fiction film, uh, fantastic horror film. It's kind of like Halloween in space. It's like a stalker slasher movie, except mm. the stalker, the slasher, is is an alien uh, with, a, with a mouth... That looks like a penis, um, but uh, yeah, it's <laughs> incredible. Uh, and, and there is a lot of thematic visuals in there about birth and uh, you know things like that. So it it, it it's great, and, and I love all the different characters. I love Ash, uh, the 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 android. Um, but uh, yeah, he he's a very complex, interesting character. Someone who would would sit very well alongside. Blade Runner's Roy Batty. I think if the two of them teamed up together, they would uh, be quite a formidable force. But yeah, I, I I will leave you to talk a bit more about Alien. So because I got a feeling it's your number one. So 
Yep. So uh, my number one is White Squall. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, a very good film. Alien. Very good film, actually. <laughs> um, it is. Um, I, I love Alien. It, it's the movie that started a franchise, a, a legacy of movies that people are still clambering to see today that hasn't died out, still getting huge releases. One of my favourite things about the movie is it's not a clean clinical spaceship. Mm. It is a, a workman-like ship. Mm. These are people just doing a job. This is their job. It's grimy, it's dirty, That there's nothing elaborate about them. They just happen to stumble into a bad situation. It is a, you know, a slasher, a stalker, a haunted house movie. We have this place they can't get out of where something is after them. And it, it, and it really deals with both science fiction and horror terrifically well. And then it has the most fantastic alien design ever. When people talk about alien, you probably think either, well, I don't know, I just go straight to the xenomorph yeah. pretty much every single time. It's it's something that was instantly perfect. You know, it just captured everything. It was odd, it was purposeful, it was fitting to that kind of creature. And throughout the rest of the alien movies, you see them try to twist and change it. And you always have that little thought going, why? Mm. It, it was perfect yeah. the way it was. Why dilute it? Why change it? Mm. Why alter it? Great characters, great story, um, great heroine um, with Ripley as well, who um, is just straight off the bat a strong character. You know, even seen the, the opening scene where she doesn't want to allow um, them back onto the ship because they've been you know, an alien substance has attacked them. Yeah. You know, she gets overrided, somebody overrides her, but she, right from there, is steadfast and strong-willed, and that just continues through the rest of the series. I want to go and watch Alien. <laughs> yeah. I do as well, actually. I've, I've been meaning to uh, watch the whole franchise again, uh, hmm. uh, yeah, for some time. I, I do, I love him. Um, which is why my number one is Alien Covenant. Um, so, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I will say it was an honourable mention. Uh, it literally... But I'm t- yeah, it, it was my number six. I love Alien Covenant. I think it's highly underrated. Uh, seriously deserves more love. Uh, I, yeah, the, the themes that it deals with are dealt with in such an incredible way for me personally. Uh, yeah, I can get over a few of the minor criticisms that people have kind of blown up into these major things, but... Hey ho! Uh, no, my number one is of course Blade Runner, um, a classic of science fiction. Again, you know, like back to back, you know, Alien followed up by Blade Runner, two of the most influential science fiction movies of all time. So any science fiction film these days, it's very hard to escape the influence of either one of these films. Um, it's very rare that a science fiction film would come out and you wouldn't at least compare it in some way to one of these two. But uh, Blade Runner, just from a thematic standpoint, just like you said, you know, it's, it's, it is this idea of what is it to be human? Are, are we created beings? If so, what would we do if we met our creator? Um, what, what, what is that relationship between creator and created being? Um, do, and, and this idea that the created being always wants to usurp the creator. You know, that's a, a theme that goes back to the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, they took from the, the fruit of the tree because they wanted to become like God. And you've got this character of Roy Batty who 
goes to meet his father and ends up ends up killing him and, and it's just yeah it's brilliant on a thematic level uh, and the sequel picked up on those themes brilliantly as well um, and this idea of, of Deckard is he a replicant or isn't it everyone has their own opinion but ultimately it doesn't matter because the question is far more important than the answer um, mm. you know it's like is he human what, what is it to be human he has human qualities um, does the fact that he can love mean he has a soul Things like that. Does the fact that he has free will, that he can make choices, that he can guide his own life, mean he has a soul? Is that what makes him human? Um, so, yeah, fantastic film that raises all these questions without providing the answers, which is really what science fiction is all about. I mean, we talked about this in our last Brits on Flicks when we reviewed Tau. The, the main mm. problem with that film was that it raised these questions, which I thought, oh, that's great, it's gone somewhere, it's raised the question, leave it there, and then it answered them. It, like, thrust these answers in your face, like it hit you over the head with his mallet, and that's when it lost it for me, because that's not what science fiction should do. It shouldn't give you the answers, it should raise the questions, and Blade Runner does that beautifully, raises all these questions and lets you go away and think about them. Incredible film, the performance by... Uh, as, as you said, um, by um, Rutger Hauer. Hauer. Yeah, it is one of my one of two all-time great performances by him. The other one being in The Hitcher, which we have already reviewed in this. Um, you know, if, if if you put Rutger Hauer in something that is is great material, you give him great direction, he can truly deliver. And it, it, it is a shame, really, that his career never quite lived up. To the promise of these two of these two roles from the Hitcher and Blade Runner, um, but uh, but it is still proof that he is an incredible actor if given the opportunity. So, yeah, what a film! Brilliant stuff. Yeah. Uh, some really touching moments as well, like when when the female replicant, the first female replicant, gets killed. I've always found that moment to be quite touching. Just this idea that she's fighting for life. Really, she's 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 not a villain. Not really. Um, you know, the, the the hero of this story is actually the villain, depending on whose eyes you're looking through. And mm. this woman, you know, she attacks him because she wants to stay alive. She's fighting to stay alive. That's the only reason she's attacked him and then run. Um, so, yeah, I always feel a great depth of sympathy for her character when, when she gets killed. Um, the only other thing I would say about the film is that it is like, a fine wine. Not that I'm a wine drinker. I, I don't really drink at all. But, you know, the, just uh, as a picture, it is like a fine wine. It, it, it gets better with age. When I first watched Blade Runner years ago as a teenager, it was the dullest film you could possibly imagine. It was slow. It was boring. I couldn't keep focus with it. I just kept on losing attention. Um, as an adult, when you watch it as an adult, um, I, I think that changes because depending on what you're looking for from a film, and I, you know when you're looking more for the ideas, for the themes, it does grow on you. Um, and it, it was only really from like the fourth watch that I suddenly kind of thought, you know what, this is one of my favourite films of all time. Uh, and it took four watches to do that. So I don't know if that's a good thing or, or, or what, but. It is what it is, and I think it is one of those kind of films that does require multiple viewings uh, to truly appreciate it. So, yeah, Blade Runner, my number one. Okay. Just on the uh, Rutger Hauer 
moment how good an acting is. I'd just like to mention uh, Blind Fury. I was going to say Blind Fury. I, I could see you dying to, to spit Blind I, Fury I was, out there. Yeah, yeah oh. I, I, want, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I, inside I was screaming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now on to um, the interesting... Well, you know, I'd say we're all kind of interesting, but the, the, the really curious part of the show... Your favourite part of the show, basically. It is, it's, it is. it's the bit you get giddy uh, about. It's like, oh, I really love this part of the show. Okay. So if this is the first time listening to this, basically what it is, is I will give Brian five synopses, which I have changed and, and twisted about. Uh, this time round, there was lots of character names in, in the synopsis, so I've just changed those names. Um, so they wouldn't give it away uh, and Brian will eliminate one at a time until he's left with a choice which will be the movie for next month so Brian, are you ready to begin? Hit me Number one A virtuous police officer must clear his good name when the drug lord he is after frames him for the murder of a dirty cop That sounds so familiar. What is that? Could be Go on, go on. Number two. A man who is an ordinary worker of a huge company is very bored of his ordinary and routine life and meets with a person that is totally who he wants to be. Okay, okay. Number three. Uh, a software. <laughs> I think I've already made my choice. <laughs> okay. Number three, a software techie by day and a computer hacker by night. He sits alone at home by his monitor, waiting for a sign, a signal from what or whom he doesn't know, until one night a mysterious woman seeks him out. I feel like that's the Matrix, and I feel like number two is Fight Club. Um. I've number four. What's number four? When Jeffrey is mistaken for a millionaire with the same name, two thugs coerce him into paying a debt he knows nothing about. When confronting his millionaire counterpart, he accepts a one-time job with a high payoff. Deception leads to more trouble and assumes scenes that everybody, from porn empire tycoons to nihilists, want something from Jeffrey. So that sounds like the big Lebowski to me. Um, so... Shall we continue? <laughs> Go on, number five. Bob's pretty happy with his life. He's a successful businessman, he has a nice wife and many friends. However, Bob finds that his life is getting very repetitive until he discovers something rather strange and decides to follow his discovery no matter how hard and how much it pains him. Give me that one again. Say that one again. Bob is happy with his life. He's a successful businessman, he has a nice wife and many friends. However, Bob finds his life is getting very repetitive until he discovers something rather strange and decides to follow his discovery no matter how hard and how much it pains him. Okay, Brian, what would you like to get rid of? Oh, man, I'm torn, because... Oh! I feel like Fight Club, The Matrix and Big Lebowski are in there and it is impossible for me to decide which one of those I can guarantee do. that you've seen at least four of these movies. 
possibly multiple times. The thing is, if it is those three movies, they're like in my top... So two, two of them are in my top 20 of all time. The other one would make my top 40 of all time. So, oh, that is tough. That is tough. Um, number one and number five. See, number one sounds interesting to me, even though it sounds pretty familiar. Um, oh, man, I hate this. Any one of these I don't want to ditch, quite frankly. Um Need me a choice, Brian. Ditch number three. Can't believe I'm saying that. Ditch number three. Ditch number three. You have got rid of the Matrix. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, this is killing me. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So you've got two that you think you know and two that you think you don't know. But are you right or are you wrong? Uh, I'm positive it's um, Big Lebowski. I, I think the thing that really gave it away is when you used the word nihilist. Um, <laughs> but uh, do I want to watch and review Big Lebowski or Fight Club? Um, or one of the other two. What, what about one in five, Brian? Oh, See, five, five, not so much, doesn't interest me as much, although it probably will be, like, a really incredible film, and it's probably one, it's probably one of our favourite films, and I've just completely... <sighs> Get rid of number five. OK. Now, let me just read this synopsis again, OK? Truman is happy with his life. Oh! <laughs> 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 oh man, it's one of my top five films of all time, ever. You've just checked out my top one hundred vi- uh, movies video, aren't you? And just thought, right, I'm nope. gonna pick his. Oh, I just picked. Man, picked five movies. So you have just gotten oh, rid of the Truman Show. I've just got rid of my third favorite movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and and all I did to that was take out the part about being on a TV show and changed his name from Truman to Bob. Yeah. There you go. Um, so we've got number one, number two, and number four. Get rid of... Can I, I cannot believe I'm saying this. Look, take your time. Do you want me to read the three synopsis again? No, I'm... I'm no. Get rid of number two. You have got rid of Fight Club. I know. I Club. know. Oh, man. I just... I'm looking... To, I'm, I think I'm going to end up reviewing David Fincher's movies at some point on my channel, so... I think that that's why I'm, I'm bypassing it at the moment. Um, read number one to me again. OK. A virtuous police officer must clear his good name when the drug lord he is after frames him for the murder of a dirty cop. This one isn't really in fitting with the rest of the movies. Because it's crap. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm intrigued. Do you think I've seen it? Uh, I I don't know if you're into these type of movies. 
Barn. <laughs> um. Liar. <laughs> oh, man. This is tough. It's been so long since I've seen The Big Lebowski and I have been meaning to watch it again. Oh. Get rid of number one. You have got rid of 1985's Chucky Chan's Police Story. Oh, right. Okay. I'm, 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 I like it. It's, I, I do like it, but I'm not sure I'd have a right lot to say about that film, to be honest. So. Okay. And you have chose number four, mm-hmm. which is 1934. Bunny Lake has gone missing. You kidding? Yes, I am. It's the big lipids. <laughs> <laughs> but for anybody out there, Brian's face was a picture. It was. <laughs> okay, nice. And it's a nice, easy, this will be a good one. Mm. Top five Coen Brother movies. Oh, that is not easy. Uh, yes, I know. It's going to be that, interesting. That is not easy. Dave, <laughs> blimey. It's easier to count on one hand the films they've made that are not good than mm. it is the one... Oh, man. So I think we could have a, a good mix there between our, our top five yes. on that one. I think that's going to be the toughest top five we've ever done. Mm. Without yeah. doubt. OK. I don't know, the Jennifer Connelly one was pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. Okay. okay, so we'd like to thank everybody for listening and of course, if you would like to take the pleasure to go over to iTunes fill out the little slip that says, you know what this is a good podcast, you should listen to it five stars, we would be eternally grateful, wouldn't we Brian? We absolutely would, yes, definitely yeah, yeah. And we'll see you next month for The Big Lebowski Thanks for listening
Yeah.